It is my sincerest pleasure to uh, introduce Father Jacob here. Um, I attend St. Monica's, and he's my priest, and so it's been exciting to get to know him through this time. A little about Father Jacob. He is a South Bend area native, uh, growing up at Holy Cross and then at St. Pius, and feeling the call into ministry at Ball State. He went into seminary, and you graduated, ordained in 2012, and then spent a bit of time at Bishop Dwanger High School in Fort Wayne, and was joyfully whisked over to us, where we have the pleasure of having him at our school and at our parish. And so it's my pleasure to introduce Father Jacob. Good to be with you all. And so I've done a couple of these uh, in Fort Wayne, but uh, this is my first time being at Theology on Tap here. But it's good to be with you all. It is really good to be back home. I can tell you that right now. There's always something about home. And for you that, as young adults, I think you guys mostly feel that. There's something good about home, and then there's also some other things about home, right? We're kind of nostalgic about home, aren't we? We get home, and we really like it for about a day. And then all of a sudden, you realize you're home, and you're like, oh... It really is. When I'm home, it's mother's rules all over again. And then it's awkward. But yes, and so I am really happy to be home, but there are all of those different things. And so I am so pleased, especially to be here in Mishawaka with the great uh, Knights of Columbus right here. Let's give them a round of applause real quick. And thanks for everything that they do. It's fantastic. Great that they do. But this theme, I think, is fantastic for all of us to think about. What does it mean to be an adult in the faith? Most of you probably were told that you become an adult in the faith at confirmation. Uh, That is, in fact, a lie. And so uh, the bishop is very big on that, stomping that language out. Because let's all be real. Ain't nobody in this place an adult in eighth grade, right? Am I right? And so I just, let me tell all my eighth graders, I just told them all this in class. None of you are adults. None of them were surprised. (laughs) And so we do not magically become adults When we leave eighth grade, we don't magically become adult at any time in our life. Ultimately, there is a process by which we become an adult. We become aware of ourselves. We become aware that there is something beyond us for which we have to grasp and for which we have to reach. And that is the core of becoming an adult, I think. Grasping for something that is greater than what we are. It is something that we are called to that we're not entirely sure if we have the capability to 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 grasp yet it's worth trying and so my first kind of point is what does being an adult in the church look like defining the relationship between us in the church because it's not something that is easy and i consider myself a young adult even though i got a hairline that's a little more uh adult-ish <laughs> but i have this feeling and i know what it's like to walk into a church to kneel down And to have a couple of feelings hit you right off the bat. You walk in the church and you go, oh, my family always used to sit right over there. I'm not with my family right now. I can sit anywhere. Man, where do I want to sit? Only to get stared at by 14 families as you realize you sat in their seat. (laughs) And then you're there and you look around the pews and you realize, oh, this is great. There is no one under the age of 60 within 10 pews of me. This is like an AARP meeting. And so there's all of these different feelings that you have. Where is everybody? What is going on? And so when we have this, that process of becoming an adult in the church, you realize that 
you now ultimately don't have someone yelling at you to go to church. I always wanted to, to market one of those uh, alarm clocks, make an alarm clock that when it goes off, it says, wake up, it's time for church. Wake up, it's time for church. Wouldn't that be wonderful? But they're like, no, not a chance. We don't want those memories, right? Unfortunately, you know, beforehand, you could always, unfortunately, it would still have to have a snooze button, wouldn't it? And that's, that would be our downfall. But what does this look like, becoming in the church? You're there, you're realizing that you're different than other people around you. You're not with your family anymore. You're not there because someone made you be there. You're there of your own free will, and yet something isn't quite right sometimes still. But it all comes down to eventually you will have a question in your heart or in your mind, or at some point in time, this will come across your consciousness. Why am I here? Why am I here? Why am I at Mass? Why am I in this building? Why am I doing what I am doing? That is ultimately the most important question to finding out and to becoming an adult in the faith. You have to be able to answer that question. And the reality is is that a lot of our friends aren't in church right now. Why? Because they can't answer that question. That is the central question about becoming an adult in your faith, is saying, why am I here? Why am I at Mass? We'll get to that in just a little bit in answering that question. But what are the essential elements of being in a Catholic? When we think about being an adult in the church, what does that actually mean? There's all of the kind of like cliche type of things. Oh, I registered. I get envelopes. Now, as a pastor, I can tell you, envelopes are very important, people. Okay? <laughs> Trust me, I had never known how any of those things worked. Well, now I do. Let me tell you, get your envelopes, people. But beyond that, we all think about becoming an adult as having that registry done, but that's not really it, although most of you probably, I mean, how many of you, let's all be, let's see how many of you will actually do, how many of you are not registered in a parish right now? There we go. Most of you. Let's all be honest. I had no clue what registry was before I became a priest. I was a priest and I didn't know how to register. I was a priest assigned in a church for over a month and I still wasn't registered. The parish secretary looked at me and says, you haven't registered in this church. I said, what? I'm the priest here. What do you want me to do? I live here. Thank you. This is my address. Sign me up. And so, but ultimately it was something that I had to do. It was kind of a big moment for me. I was very excited about it. For those of you who are not registered, it is quite the, quite the experience, especially depending on who your parish secretary is. It could be quite the experience. But those are those are the types of things that it, it's... That's not what becoming an adult in the church is. Becoming an adult in the church is so much more, and so, I mean, quite a bit more, than just doing the things that adults do. Putting the thing in the basket, reading the bulletin. I'm sure if, if only half of you are registered, I'm sure a lot less of than you read the bulletin, right? And so it's, what is it that it means to be an adult? Those are all things that, yes, adults eventually do, but that's not what an adult is in the church. And so there are four aspects of a Catholic in, that every single Catholic has that you do both when you are young and also when you're an adult and becoming an adult in the church. Those four aspects are sacraments, prayer, study, and service. If any of you went to a Catholic school, you probably got those beaten to your head, right? Because they're a part of every mission statement in some way, shape, or form. Sacraments, prayer, study, and service. When you're young... Those things are very much set up for you. You have all of those things in nice little boxes. Sacraments, you're prepared for them. You go to classes for them. You get pictures taken. You know you're going to get presents. This is going to be good. (laughs) 
right? They put you in very uncomfortable clothes, march you up there in front of everyone in the church. You're terrified you're going to do something wrong, and you end up face-planting anyway and making a fool out of yourself. But the sacraments are something that ultimately, as when we're kids, they're nice, nicely packaged for us. And why, is it that, why did we go to them? Because they were all nicely packaged. When did we go to receive the Eucharist? Every time mom and dad took me to church. When did we go to, to confession? Whenever they had it at school. Or, rec- or our, you know, parish RE or whatever it was. Things were very nicely packaged for us with our sacraments. With prayer, once again, nicely packaged. What did your parents normally say? Say your prayers before bed. Kneel down. This is my voice from my mother. <laughs> Sean's my brother-in-law. Is that my mother's voice? You better believe it. <laughs> I won't tell her you said that. But it is true. Kneel down and say your prayers. Around the table, I have another cousin who, whenever I went over to his house, they have a family tradition of holding hands when you, when you say the prayer around the table. And you'd like to think, oh, how beautiful. It's love and tender. No, it's because my cousins wouldn't stop screwing around. <laughs> and so you, my parents made him hold hands. Alex, typical. But those things were all packaged for you. Study. You went to Catholic school. You had homework. You had to do that. Service. Once again, you had to get so many service hours for confirmation. I sign off on those things constantly. I go, how many service hours? How long were you here? About 45 minutes. Yeah, that was two hours. Good. (laughs) Remember, the Lord is generous. The Lord is generous. (laughs) And he's not a math major, so just add a couple on there, right? (laughs) Round up. Round up. For all you math teachers, I'm sorry. But regardless, those are all of those things when we're young. When we are adults, we have all of those things, and we are responsible for every single one of those things. And so if you want to ask yourself, am I an adult in the church? Those four things are an excellent way of knowing whether you are or are you not. Are you purposely and consciously trying to enter into all four aspects of those? The elements of being a Catholic. Are you making an effort to make the sacraments the priority in your life? Do you know when the next time you're going to go to confession is? Right? Is it scheduled? Is Mass in the schedule? I always tell people, these things, these evil instruments from Satan, these things, <laughs> right? They beep at you and they tell you everything. Everything that's important to our lives is in them, correct? Everything. If I have an appointment, it's in here. Everything is in this phone. Even my breviary, my, my prayer is in here, which is terrible. And I'm, as a book person, you know, it makes me sad. But if I don't have this on me, it doesn't happen. All of you, do you have mass in your phone? Is it scheduled? Is confession scheduled? If a part about being an adult is keeping your own schedule and making sure that your life is organized and bills are paid on time and all of those things, are you an adult? Are you approaching your faith like it's something that's a priority in your life? Because if it's not in your calendar, it ain't going to happen. Let's all be real. Or it might happen, but it's going to happen sporadically. It's going to happen when you remember. And most of you have busy lives. If you don't remember, it ain't going to happen. And if there's not something to remind you, it really ain't going to happen. I have mass in my phone. Mass don't happen unless I'm there. It's in my phone. Why? So something beeps at me. Because everyone wants to talk to me before mass. Father, I know you got mass in 20 seconds. Let me go into Can I ask you one question? Father, I need you. What's the meaning of life, Father? Why do people suffer? I know you got 27 minutes. Come on, please. Lord have mercy. 
Lord have mercy now. Oh, Agnes, go sit down. It's a mystery now. You'll be fine. Pray the rosary. The blessed mother will tell you. And so it has to be scheduled. Mass and confessions, all of those things have to be scheduled. The second thing is with prayer. Prayer is that essential element of ultimately becoming an adult. I don't know, a lot of you have to, uh, if any of you have young children or many of you might work in schools, I heard this saying a lot from, from my mother. Use your big kid words. Use your adult words. Don't just, Aja, 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 no. I was 10. What? <laughs> but prayer, having that language with God. What does your language with God look like? Is it an adult conversation? Do you actually have a conversation with someone? And how do you have an adult conversation? You have an adult conversation because you practice conversing with people, a social life. You, are, you ultimately are raised and you grow in this art of com- conversing. Some of us do a better job than others. You know, some of us are still a little socially awkward, right? That's okay. But with prayer, we have to work at that communication. Is it something that we work at? That we're constantly trying to foster this this talk. You all know that Facebook is not real friends. You all finally got to that point in your lives, right? Unlike my eighth graders. Oh my gosh, I just got my 400th friend. I am so popular. No, you're not. Father Jacob bursting kids' bubbles since 2012. You guys are all beyond that. You know what friends are. You have fewer friends, but they're closer friends, right? Is God that friend? And how is it that you define friendship? Friendship ultimately should be based around intimacy. It should be based around sharing that faith with one another. For myself, I never thought I would have friends that are as great as my fraternity brothers in college, you know? So I went to Ball State. Chirp, chirp. Chirp, chirp. There we go. And I never thought in my life that I would ever have friendship as close as those brothers were to me. They were awesome. We had a blast. But then I went to the seminary, and I found out what friendship was in Christ. And that changed everything for me with friendship. I thought that my friends in the fraternity were the closest friends I ever had, and they are still close friends of mine. They are awesome guys. But they're bros. Let's all be real. They are definitely bros. My closest friendships came from the seminary. Why? Because there is that grounding in the faith which takes friendship and deepens it to a level that it is meant to be because then it becomes exalted because it's based in something that is stronger and greater than ourselves. And that is the central element of prayer. Friendship with God that is not superficial, but that is something based on something that is much deeper. And so becoming an adult means becoming a person of prayer. And using our big kid language, if you will, with God. Not just reaching out for what I want in formless words, but sitting down in the midst of silence and becoming comfortable with silence. Because that is the language of God. Which is the most terrifying thing for something, someone of our generation who's not yet a parent. For parents, silence becomes sweet. Right? But for those of you who are not parents yet, maybe you don't you know, appreciate that as much. But silence is something that is that is necessary. It's a necessary part of our life. And just like with the sacraments, we have to schedule that in. Study. How do you learn about the faith? When you're a kid, you know, you have the test, you do all of those things. But with a friendship, your friendship will ultimately die if you don't learn. 
just like the fire. A fire, a bonfire has to be enkindled. Many of you were on the, on the young adult retreat recently, and I preached about that, about how a bonfire has to be constantly fed with things. Are you studying the faith? Are you learning about God? What do you know about God? I mean, if, if I had a friend over here, and you're like, hey, that's your friend. Is that your friend Ted over there? Yeah, that's my friend Ted. Hey, Ted, how you doing? Great. So why, what do you know about Ted? Oh, he's, he's great. Ted's awesome. Where's Ted from? I don't know. What's he like to do? Mm-hmm. Hang out with me? I can tell you where his favorite bar is. If, you're not, if you don't know anything about Ted, how are you calling Ted a friend? What do you know about God? That's the whole, in a sense, the purpose of friendship is to become vulnerable, vulnerable with one another so that you support one another, you know each other, and you support one another in life together. And that is the purpose of study, to know God so that you might be friends with God, not to know God because you want to pass a test to get into heaven. There ain't no test to get into heaven. God doesn't care about chapter and verse, people. He wants to know if you know the scriptures. Do you know him? I always loved that when I got into, you know, those discussions with like the street evangelists. You know, I love those. Especially when I was in college. John 3, whatever, John 3, 16, or, you know, Matthew 5, 14, or, you know, first letter of whatever, you know, whatever it is. And, you know, I, you know, I'm a priest. I don't have all those things memorized. That's why we have a book. That's why we have Siri. <laughs> Siri, what does John whatever say? John whatever in the Bible says this. But there's no test. By the way, all of those chapters and verses, they were made up by a monk in the 13th century, just in case you were wondering. Right? Jesus didn't say, the Sermon of the Mount. Matthew, take a note. Chapter 5, verse 1. <laughs> Are you listening? That's not what they did. But the scriptures is, are where we know God. They are there so that we might know him. Do you know him? I get so sick and tired of people coming up and telling me and go and trying to pontificate about what Jesus would say. What would Jesus do? You know those nice bracelets, what would Jesus do, that are really nice and cute? Those are cute, but do you know what Jesus would do? Don't tell me you know what Jesus would do if you ain't never read the Bible. Don't try to tell me you know what Jesus would do. I get so... Mm. People. I'm so, all these poor people sitting here. This is dangerous. You might get a paper cut. I'm sorry. But it's, don't try to pretend like you know what the Lord would do if you do not actually go and seek out what he tells you. Because that's what it means to be an adult, not to assume. What do children do? They assume what their parents would want them to do. And what happens? They get into all types of trouble doing it. Oh, I know that. I, but I thought. That was your problem. That was your problem. Thinking. Dumb. D-U-M, dumb. For all you English teachers, that was an English joke there. Ah. But don't assume you know what God would do. I think that's a real big problem right now, especially for this generation, for us, for all of us, is that we hear so many people assuming what the Lord would say or what the Lord would do. Our Lord is a God of love. He just wants you to love people. Of course he wants you to love people, but let's all be honest. Love, if without truth, is not love. And this is also the God that threw lightning bolts out the sky. Watch out! And that was love. That was tough love. Read the Bible. You've got to read the scriptures if you want to be able to say that you know God or you know what God would do. Know him. Have an adult faith. That, that life with him is so important. Dive into those scriptures. Sacraments. Prayer. Study. Service. This is the one where I think that we really excel because 
if it's one thing I see, I see young people giving back left and right. If there's a cause, we're behind it. We don't even have to know what the cause is. We love it. Just look at our world today. We protest over everything. Right? I mean, we'll protest all day long. You give me a sign. I'll march. Let's do this. I literally had someone the other day. They were in one of the protests around the country. They, had, they, they're like, I, they were walking. They had no clue. They just grabbed a sign. They started walking. I'm like, oh, Lord. Groupthink. But we are, we are advocates. We want to get involved. We want to have a cause. We want to help. And that is something that is so great and is so beautiful. And we need to give that unto God. The service of others. What are the two greatest commandments? Love God and love your neighbor. In that order, people. In that order. If you love your neighbor, but without the love of God, then that is not love. We have to remember that. Because what God says, that is the ultimate order of operations. But we need that service element to our lives. We need to be able to give of ourselves. Because that is... That is the ultimate call of every Christian to model Christ in the cross, to lay down our lives so that others might have life in the smallest of ways and in the greatest of ways. We think about all those soldiers laying down their lives for those whom they love back here. That is probably the most beautiful. But then there are also all of those people that are laying down parts of their lives here for the sake of others, whether it is feeding the homeless, whether it is, you know, caring for the elderly, whatever it might be, recycling, caring for the earth. I don't care what it is. Whatever you're doing that glorifies God to do it and to do it for the purpose of the service of the lord not just for random humanitarianism because this is a good thing that we're supposed to do no because christ commands it of us because when we do this we make him more present to know why we're doing it that's the element that changes us from being kind of having that immature faith to that adulting faith is knowing why we're doing it kids do service projects all the time why because they're forced to It's genius. You don't do this, you don't get the keys to the car. Done. Basta cozy. But for us, we have to know why we are doing it. But all of a lot of us, I meet a lot of adults that do good things, but they can't answer that question why they're doing them. And therefore, they're really not doing them with the heart that God wants them to do them. He wants them to serve others. Why? Because they see Christ in others. Because I love you as a person. Because you are made in the image and likeness of God. And I am called to serve you. Because I see Christ in you, not just because I have this weird empathy and I feel good about this because you're poor and I'm supposed to help someone who's poor. No, because I truly have a deep desire to to know you and to show you that love of God. So if you want to know whether or not you are doing a good job of becoming adult in the faith, those are the things that we're looking for. We're looking for a, a great love of the sacraments. A desire to enter into prayer, to know what God says, so that we might study him. We study him with the purpose of knowing him better and having a better relationship with him. And lastly, service, but service with a purpose, knowing the why. Knowing the why. Why am I serving? And so, now it's your responsibility to make sure that happens for you. Beforehand, it was your family's responsibility. They had a sacred obligation before God. And... They might have succeeded or failed in that, right? Let's all be real. Be easy on your parents, though, right? It was a rough job. I got to be easy on my parents. I give them a run for their money. But it's something where we have a sacred responsibility from God to search these things out. 
I get this in the confessional a lot, and it always cracks me up. Hey, Father, how you doing? It's been a little while since I've been here, but I haven't killed nobody. I love that one. That's my favorite. That's the level of doing a good job in the faith. I'm doing well morally as long as I haven't committed homicide. No murder today? Hey. Gosh, ah, I can sleep well at night. Knocked over three banks, Ponzi schemes, people are dying, you know, whatever. But I haven't murdered anyone. And so when did that become the baseline for our self-reflection as to whether or not we're doing a good job? I think that that's the thing that we need to have more of. We need to actually reflect. What is, this is a sacred obligation. This isn't something that just is a nice idea, but it's something that God actually commands of us. Because if you read the scriptures, that's what, it's gonna, that's what you're going to find. That these things are commandments of God. Why? Not because he says, if you don't do these things, you're going to be damned to hell eternally. Mwahaha, I am God. That's not the purpose. But God, like a good parent, knows that if you don't do these things, you will never find happiness in this life. Not in the fullest sense. Because if I never actually found God, I probably would have been happy in the sense of the world. When I was living my frat life, man, I was happy. I was having a dang good time. It was great. I had so much fun. Okay, quick story. First year in the seminary, I go back to Ball State, and my, fu- my friends say, meet me at Dill Street. You know, we're going to, I'm like, Dill Street's the big club, okay? I am not, I was like, no, people, I cannot go to Dill Street. I am a seminarian. Cannot go there. Not a chance. No, we're not talking about that. Just come. It's a grill earlier in the day. Come around five. We'll have burgers. I said, okay, fine. I'll meet you there for burgers. Was that a mistake or was that a mistake? Big mistake. I walk in. The DJ's in the cage getting ready for that night. And he comes on the mic. Is that Jacob Meyer? Oh, my gosh. You own this stage, man. Where have you been? completely set up wanted to die wanted to die as the entire place goes as i have my and no joke i had my seminarian of the diocese of fort wade south bend shirt on and everything i was like oh gosh but there's this 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 responsibility that we all have that we need to recognize that this is what we're called to god has these commandments for our happiness when i was at ball state i thought i had the fullest happiest life on the face of the planet and i had god in my life I wasn't a complete pagan. I went to Mass every Sunday. I went to confession regularly. I had plenty of reason to. (laughs) But I did all the things that, you know, a good Catholic was even supposed to do, checking all of those boxes, doing much more than most of my peers were doing, and being more or less ridiculed for it on a regular basis. But I wasn't happy. I didn't know that I wasn't happy, but I wasn't happy. It wasn't until I realized that there was more that God was offering me that I found out what true happiness was in the faith. And that is the cool thing about this moment in all of our lives is that God is reaching out to us and offering us something greater. And that is now our job, to go out and tell people about why that's greater. All right, so I talked about at the very beginning that when you're in that pew in that moment, you know, you kneel down to Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Okay, this is what Mom told me to do. All right, I'm supposed to be praying right now. No idea what I'm supposed to be saying, but I know I'm supposed to be praying. All right, I'll just say Hail Marys until I get bored. All right, 
well, this is a really pretty church. There's a light out. I don't know if any of you have had that experience, but that was pretty much my experience before I knew how to pray. And eventually what I said was that eventually you're going to have that question come into your life. That question will eventually come, why am I here? And that is a question that every one of us has to answer, and it is the core of becoming that adult in the faith. This is everything, okay? And so forget everything I just told you, which isn't too hard, right? Forget everything I just told you, and I want you to ask, answer that question, why am I just here? It all revolves around this question. Those of you who are in, have ever been in RCIA with me or just about any talk you ever had with me, you have to answer this. The Lord said in the scriptures, do this in remembrance of me. Do this in remembrance of me. What context was that set in? It was set in the context of the Last Supper with the Eucharist. What is the this? What is the this? It is the holy sacrifice of the Mass. Do this in remembrance of me. As often as you gather, do this. Every time y'all get together, do this. What is the this? It is the Mass. Before the Bible was ever compiled, the Bible was not compiled into a set of books as we know it today until the year 300. What'd they do for the first 300 years of Christianity? They didn't have a Bible study. They didn't have a praise and worship session. They didn't jam out. They didn't go to the coffee shop. They didn't just walk around the streets, you know, telling all these random things. They did that, but they did more than that. What was the this that they did as often as they gathered? It was the holy sacrifice of the mass. The Eucharist is the center of our lives. And if we don't understand that question, then we are never going to stay in the church and we're never going to be able to bring our friends back to the church. Because let's all be honest, that is the goal. We want to see a whole lot of you and a whole lot more of your age group in the church. I'm sick of being the youngest person in the church. Trust me. I love old ladies. They feed me well. But you are all a lot more fun. But you will not stay in the church and you're not going to be able to bring people back to the church unless you can answer that question. Why am I here? And the reason why we are here is because for us, the Eucharist is the center of all things. For us, do this in remembrance of me is the command of God, which means more to me than anything else in my life. Which means we have to know more about what is happening inside those four walls of church. Because you're not going to be able to appreciate it until you learn about it. How did I come to appreciate the Mass? Now, obviously, I'm a priest. Do I love the Mass? Yes. It's kind of my thing. Right? It's my day job. But it is the central aspect of my life that is not just a job. It is, this is my most intimate moment with my Lord. And the, the way you fall in love with the Mass is in the details. It's not in the largest things. You can think about the large aspects of the Mass all day long. Wow, heaven and earth coming together, cosmic. I mean, you're going to have to pop some Advil to think about that. But when you learn about the little things of the Mass, all of a sudden it becomes so much more. Why is the priest doing that? You should always leave Mass with one more question to research. And you don't have any, I mean, it's not like you need the Catholic Encyclopedia. We, do you have this? Yes. Siri, why does the priest do this? I have no idea. Don't ask Siri, that's dumb. <laughs> but I do have other things for you that you can answer. And because that leads from one thing to the next thing. The faith is a well. 
It is a well that is infinitely deep. You can go as deep as you would like. The key is just to keep drawing. You're never going to reach the bottom of the well. You just got to keep throwing the bucket in. Drink. Throw it back in. Repeat. You got to keep doing it. I will give you the water that you will drink and never have thirst again, says the Lord. To the Samaritan woman. I will give you something that will make you never thirst again so that it will quench you for forever. Tell me so that I don't have to keep coming to this well. And the Lord, I can I just imagine, you know, the Lord is so much more eloquent. I would have been like, well, there's bad news. <laughs> you ain't going to thirst, but you won't keep coming to the well. But you're not going to thirst. You have to keep going to that well to keep drawing from it. All right, so why is this important? Do this in remembrance of me. It's because... You need all of these things. The sacraments, prayer, study, and service, you actually need them. They will make you the person that you were meant to be. And that is what I discovered when I went down this same path as you. When I was at Ball State, I was having a dang good time, like I said. But it wasn't until I started going to confession regularly that ultimately I found out the greatness that God had in store for me. Because it was there that I was able to confront myself and realize that I can grow. I can grow beyond what everyone tells me to do. And so I hope that you all have a greater devotion to that sacrament most especially. And it's never going to get easy. I'm a priest. This is what I do. I got to go to confession as well. And I sit on the other side of the screen. You think that's awkward? (laughs) Bless me, Father, for I have sinned. I'm in the club. I'm a father as well. (laughs) And I got to go through the same list. And everyone's like, Father, but it's always the same things. It's always the same things for me too, people. That's always the case. We always have the same root sins, but we can grow, and that's the great news. We can, we can ultimately have that great gospel proclaimed to us. You are redeemed. Don't worry. Keep working at it. All right, three things, and this is what I'm going to end, end with for you guys. So the church needs you for three reasons. The church needs you. This whole, the struggle is real, is indeed a struggle, and you need to struggle, and this is why we need you to struggle. And I'll get down on my knees and beg. Don't make me beg, but I will. For these three reasons. The first, credibility. The church has no credibility in the world. Look at it. Just look at, the, I mean, look at the media. Do we have any credibility in this world? Not a chance. If I got on there and said all this, would anyone listen to me? Nope, you're a priest. You're obviously biased. You've drank the Kool-Aid. You know, you're just listening to all this mumbo-jumbo. And you, also, you have... I have all, if I get up there and preach it, they're going, you just want butts in your seats. Now, is any of that true? No, but that's what the world thinks. I cannot preach the gospel effectively, unfortunately, on the, on the mass scale anymore. Why? Because the church has made several large mistakes in the past, you know, 2,000 years. And they love to bring all of those mistakes up to us at every moment. And what are they trying to do? They try to discredit us. We are, I can't do the preaching that I need to do, but you can. Who is credible in this world? Not the blue-haired old lady in the pew saying her rosary. She gets on CNN, everyone should go to church. You little pagans, why don't you go to church? You need to love Jesus more, and why don't you light candles? And why aren't you registered? Use your envelopes. Is anyone going to listen to the little blue-haired old lady? No. They're going to say, that's very cute. Flip me pancakes, and I might at least listen to what you have to say. Thank you, Grandma. That's, that's, she's not credible. 
The littlest kids in the world, they at least are cute and they have the ability to touch people's hearts because of their witness, but they're not really credible. Why? Because people go, oh, they were just spoon-fed this. They're just repeating what they were, they were told. They're just a bunch of brainwashed little kids. Their parents told them they had to do this. They went to Catholic school, so they circled the right answer. You are one of the only groups in this country that has the possibility of being credible to the world. People will listen to you. Why? Because you're actually living it and you're choosing it. If you choose this life and you go out there and tell people that I am a Catholic, I am doing all four of these things that Father Jacob just spoke about, not because he told me to do it, because I like it and it brings me joy. That becomes credible. People might think you're crazy, but you're credible. People might actually listen to that more than they will listen to any other age group because it's surprising. In this era where so many people are rejecting that, you are the most interesting geographic, or not geographic, uh, demographic. demographic, thank you. You are the most interesting demographic out there because you are the most mysterious. There are so few of you. Credibility, the church needs you. We are not going to be able to transform our world without you. This, I will beg. Do you want me to beg? Begging begging it's really true and we all see it will you do it will you do it so that's the first thing credibility the second thing energy please i have more committees ran by 80 year old ladies i don't know what to do i want to let's have a let's have a great time let's have a party let's do this okay father don't worry, I'll get the, I'll, I'll work on the party favors. I'll get the centerpieces done. Oh my goodness. If I have one more confetti, more and more thing about confetti, oh, centerpieces and tablecloths and, oh, and they're all tacky and old. Let's all be real. We like ambiance. We need something. You all have energy. You have energy that the church needs. There is work to be done. The Lord said, pray that there will be more laborers to be sent into the harvest. And we all talk about that with vocations to the priesthood. And that is very true, that the harvest is abundant and the laborers are few. We need to pray for more priests. That is necessary. But let me be real. I'm praying for more of you. I want you to be multiplied. Why? Because it's not my job to do all of this. It's your job to do all of this. And I need your energy to do it. I need you to step up and to take that sacred responsibility that God has given you and say, yes, I'm willing to put that at your service, Lord. You have four million other things to do. But I want you to prioritize the Lord and the church. Because at the end of the day, everything else that you're doing is going to fall away with this world. The thing about our generation is we, wanna, we have so much on our plates. We've got families. We've got all of this stuff. We're working. We have all of these things to do. And we're pulled in so many different directions. The one thing I want you to remember is that at the end of the day, you, what you put your energy into is something that you feel is worth it. And I hope that you think that the church is worth it. And that at the end of the day, you feel like you've done something that will last. And at the gates of heaven, you could say, yes, sir, Lord. See that thing right there? That was me. I, I designed the best bulletin for St. So-and-so's parish ever. And maybe that's not what you're doing, but maybe it's, I don't know what it is that you're called to do in the church, but do something in the church. And the last thing, before I very, very much stop, because I'm, of course, already over, is culture. Credibility, energy, and culture. 
We need to bring back culture in the church. A true culture. We have cultural Catholicism, and that's not what I'm talking about. Like, I'm Italian. Of course I'm Catholic. I eat spaghetti. <laughs> Viva il Papa. See, si. That's not what I'm talking about. That doesn't convert nobody, and that has run its course. And to be perfectly honest, it's more or less failed miserably. What is Catholic culture? Catholic culture is where the church is the patron of the arts, where we love these things that inspire us, film and painting and music and art and literature and all of these things that truly build culture and events and social gatherings and the things that we all love to be able to do. If you, what is our generation? We all are moving back into cities. We're trying to gather together. We're trying to do awesome things with art and all of this. I mean, downtown Mishawaka, look at what we're doing here. We're in the middle of Nowheresville, Indiana. And I've got, loud, I've got live music outside of my front doors three times a week in the summer. Sweet. This is what we're about. Now we need to do this for our faith culture. We need to bring that cultural, that experience back into the church that we actually want these things in the church. We want art. We want music. We want to insp be inspired again. And we want to do so with having fun. I want to actually challenge you to do this, to bring a culture of fun back to Catholicism. Because this church used to party hard. <laughs> with our grandparents' generation, the church was the center of their social life. They had card clubs and dances, and they all got together, and there were clubs, and the moms got together, and the kids did, like, you know, play date things. I don't know what they do. I'm a priest. I don't know what, you know, moms, help me out here. Whatever you do. <laughs> Pinterest clubs. I don't know. <laughs> but when the church was the center of life, look at this Knights of Columbus Hall. What was the purpose of this? So that men can come together in fraternity and brotherhood and enjoy each other's company. That is what this is about. I need you all, and I just can't tell you enough to have fun in the church. You want to have a party? Go to your priest. I want to throw a party. Let's do this. I can't tell you, my seminary, when people found out there was a bar in the basement, they were like, so what? I go, we got three beers on tap, 20 different bottles. We are ready to go. I loved it when the keg delivery came in. There's great pictures of the seminary at that point. And everyone's like, what? I go, of course, we're Catholic. Let's do this. And it's not to scandalize. It's not for drunkenness. It's not for those things naturally. But as I was telling a couple of tables, right? St. Thomas Aquinas, bibite ad hilaritatem. Drink to the point of hilarity, <laughs> says St. Thomas. But to bring fun back, because that is what evangelizes people. If you have people that you want to bring back to the faith, don't start with a history lesson. Don't start with a catechesis on the mass. Don't start with just clubbing them over the head and dragging them. <laughs> Invite them to something fun. Start something fun. Get this. Be together. Have a good time. And maybe even bring something about the faith into that. <gasps> it, doesn't have to, and it doesn't have to overarch. It doesn't have to be bigger than it needs to be. Just let it be comfortably. When Jesus walked into places, like when he walked into the wedding feast of Cana, he was just there. Having a dang good time. They noticed the problem, then they went to him. I think that needs to be the model for our lives, is the wedding feast of Cana. Dwell with the Lord. Let him come to your party. Have a party. In order to have Jesus to your party, you've got to first have a party. Plan a party, then invite Jesus to your party. And then watch as the miracles unfold.
I just went to Rocks just down the street. And Rocco comes out. Have anyone here ever been to Rocks? Oh, you need to go to Rocks if you ain't never been to Rocks. It's an experience. And so I walked into Rocco, parishioner of mine, God bless him. And I walk in, and he looks at me and goes, oh! And I go, yeah, I didn't see you at church. So every time you go in there, you ask Rocco, Father Jacob asks, are you gonna, what mass you're going to be at on Sunday. All right, do that for me. But I walked in, and he goes, everyone always is like the priest in the, in the bar. I'm like, I'm the one person you want in this bar. Multiplication. Water into wine, people. But those are the three reasons why we need you in the church. We need you because you're credible. You have energy to do what the church needs you to do. And lastly, we're people of culture. Let's change the culture. Let's not make it about old, tacky, weird, you know, random, churchy things. Let's have a party, invite Jesus to it, and show them how we can bring some of those things of the Lord into a way that is appealing Because joy sells. Joy sells, people. That's what I want you to listen to. So that's that's my gig. Hashtag adulting. The struggle's real. Let's get this going. Thank you all. Awesome. Does anyone have any questions for, for, for the Padre? Yes. You my mother's here. Gosh. Stop it, I need counseling. No, what? Um I, okay, so you said... And what would be the difference between, like, the parties organized by someone of our demographic than, like, uh, the elder? So what's the difference between the parties I want you to throw and the parties that are currently happening? <laughs> the parties that you're going to throw, people actually want to come to. Okay? And so the parties that you're going to throw, the reason why we're really good about planning parties is that we think about the parties that we're going to plan. Generally speaking, when, when older people have parties, they don't think about the details that make an event actually successful. When we plan something, we think about things that are going to be successful. We think about what's the purpose? How are we going to get people there? How are we going to advertise this? When people come, what's the ambiance? What what's the feel? For a, for, a, for a gig like this, we've got to make sure we got booze. We've got to make sure we have this. We, you know, I have this group of guys called the Sons of St. Monica at my, at my church, and they said, Father... We'll paint your house. Don't you worry. I'm going to paint your house. Great. I said, well, I'll supply beer. It'll be awesome. I'll keep you fully supplied with beer if you, if you paint my house. They said, deal. So I stocked the fridge. I mean, I had everything. That, you know, I had a, you know, a couple of different things. You know, I had a Sam Adams variety pack. I had a couple of IPAs. I had, you know, I had some things that, you know, just in case you wanted to some regular Bud Light, whatever. I had a good range, some Heineken, you know. They came up to me. That's all Granger beer. <laughs> it was so funny. I go, what? They go, we want cheap beer. I said, what does that mean? I got Bud Light. <laughs> that wasn't cheap enough. They go, I want Bush Light. I said, I haven't had that since the frat days, but okay. So, but if you think about it, once again, if I had them playing a party, what would happen? Literally, these... Nobody's going to show up to that party. Or at least the people that we want to be there, they'll show up, and then they'll say, I'm never coming again. So the difference between the parties is that if we want the church to be something that actually all of our demographics want to experience and enjoy, you all need to be a part of that. Because I can't tell you how often I have young adults coming, and they go, this just isn't my thing, Father. And I go, well, I didn't see you volunteering to plan. All right? 
There's so many times that young adults come to me, the church doesn't do enough for us. And that is, that is very true. Okay. That is true. But the reality is, is that guess what? I don't have a lot of help from y'all either. Sometimes no one here is backing down my door. Padre, I want to do this. Except for Melissa. She's actually, you know, she always, and she knows that, yeah, father, I sent you four emails this month (laughs) and you haven't gotten back with one of them. God bless you. And you're so good to me. I'm sorry. So that time I'm excused. But do you see what I'm saying there? That's, what, that's why we need you to throw the parties, because you're good at it, all right? And I want to have a good time, too. Yes? Just a question about parishes. And, you know, our culture is more footloose than any before, right? So we, we, uh, we don't really associate a parish, like the parish we go to, with where we live. So Correct. what do you think about switching parishes to switch for that dynamic priest or that dynamic group and yeah. because that priest could be changed you yeah. know what i mean like and um yeah just what are your thoughts about about that That's because an it's, awesome it's question. tempting sometimes when your awesome priest leaves to mm-hmm. like want to leave or follow, yeah, follow you know groupies so priest groupies <laughs> we all got priest groupies so here's what i would say to that is that ultimately the goal would be that it's about the eucharist right And the priest comes and goes, and we can always get something from every priest. You just have to actually search for the nugget. Now, that being said, uh, that's not foolproof. So I'm never going to say, don't leave your parish. Because you've got to go where you're fed, to be honest. And if it's good for your family, most especially, sometimes you have to do that. Um, But that being said, I'm a big advocate of at least making sure that the other guy gets a shot. And not going to follow the dynamic, but really saying, I want to be a part of the dynamic here. Because no matter what priest comes or goes, you can have a dynamic parish. Let me tell you about St. Vincent's Parish in Fort Wayne. The largest parish in the diocese, people would say that it is a thriving, dynamic parish. Uh, have any of you ever been to St. Vincent's in Fort Wayne? It's, it's definitely the good. So a couple of you. It's a very, it is, it's very vi- vibrant. The pastor of St. Vincent's in Fort Wayne, Monsignor Kuzmik. Yes, it's powerful. Good. Who are you? There's so many people here. Hello. Why is that parish so dynamic? It has nothing to do with the priest. It had everything to do with the people. And ultimately, the priest just got out of the people's way. Monsignor Kuzmik just let people do what they needed to do. That was his genius. He just said, people came to him and said, Father, we want to do this. And he said, yes, it's good. That's the key to being a good priest, smiling and get the hell out of the people's way. It really is true. That prayer that I say, um, so when we go up to get the book of the Gospels for the procession, there's a prayer that I'm supposed to say, um, uh, may the Lord be in my heart and on my lips that I will proclaim his holy gospel worthily and well. And I always add to that prayer as I go to pick up the book, Blessed Mother, help me get out of your son's way. (laughs) That's always my prayer because that's the role of the priest. So I think it's tempting to to priest jump and to follow that priest. And so, but I would say caution against it at first. The key to, I think, moving parishes is if you're trying to be a part of that dynamic life and you're like, yes, I am all in. I want to do this. Let's go, Father. We got this ready. I'm ready to plan a party. Let's have this. Let's do this. I'm willing to help. And you just hit brick wall after brick wall after brick wall. And the Padre's like, eh, nope, not going to happen. 
and we don't got money for that. And uh, I just don't feel like doing that. And whatever the ant is. If you keep hitting those brick walls, because not every idea you have, contrary to popular belief, is going to be a good one. All right? Remember, he is the pastor for a reason. But if you're constantly hitting those brick walls, then maybe it's the time. That might be a sign from God. Okay, you know what? I'm going to go where my gifts are going to be utilized. So that's, that. does that answer your question a little bit? And the big thing is, especially with your families, go where you're fed. Go where you're fed. As a priest, I can tell you this as a pastor. I am never offended if you leave my parish. I'm not offended if you read the Magnificat instead of listening to my homily. If my homily's crap, and you're like, mm-mm, Padre. <laughs> read that Magnificat reflection. I don't care. This ain't about me. It's about you getting fed with the word of God and a reflection that feeds your soul and all those things. I don't remember what I preached 10 minutes after I preached it. By the end of the, people will come up to me and go, Father, what about this? I go, I don't know about that. Like, you just talked about it in your homily. I go, oh, <laughs> I did, didn't I? So I would say that it's not hard and fast, but don't be afraid to move. Don't say that you're, you're bound to this parish. Don't think that you're bound there because you live there. But if you are there, throw yourself in first. Throw yourself in because you might be there for a purpose. God might be trying to use you as a leaven to bring about good things. And don't give up on that until those barriers obviously are the signs of the Holy Spirit that maybe you're called somewhere else. Good question. Other questions? So I am one of those church hoppers. (laughs) Um, I saw you at my church. I was very happy about that. Yes. (laughs) Um, But in in really trying to earnestly find a parish and settle in, and Mm -hmm. it is hard to kind of break into some of those very established mm-hmm. communities and those parish mm-hmm. committees that have not changed for a long time. And mm-hmm. you're, I think there's a lot of trepidation as far as disrupting anything because mm-hmm. we don't want to be crazy millennials and disrupt everything about that committee, but genuinely want to join the committee. Yeah. What would you suggest as the best step into volunteering within a parish? Who should we first go to instead of just everybody hoarding around the priest and be like, tell us what to do? I would ask your priest. I think that's the first thing. You should ask your priest because I know which committees in my parish. I'm new. I'm shaking everything up. I mean, all you St. Monica's people know, God bless them. I hate the phrase, and no one ever says the phrase around me because that's what we've always done. (laughs) Dundee. Dundee. That ain't going to be around this place because that's not the spirit, okay? So, but... um, but I know which committees that in my parish are more open to change and which ones aren't. And there's some that I will then collaborate with you on. And I'll link arms and say, let's get this done. Because I'm real good at hostile takeovers, okay? Because <laughs> sometimes you need that. Sometimes certain committees need that for the life of the parish. And so if you want to insert yourself, I'd ask your priest if there's a specific one. And your priest might say, oh, I don't know. Um, at that point, you go, thanks, Padre. Um, someone's coming to you actually get th- something done here. At that point, I would say, okay, what is your interest? Dive in, and then your excitement will then hopefully start, start small with your excitement. Like, for example, I really want our Ultra Rosary Society to take off. Really want our Ultra Rosary Society to take off, but whoo, I went to that meeting. It ain't taking off nowhere. <laughs> Unless you hook up some rocket boosters to those walkers, they ain't going nowhere. <laughs> that being said, these women are the most astounding women on the face of the planet. 
And these are women that every young woman need to get to know. Why? Because they form their families. They know how this church works. They've been here since the beginning, and they are, no, they are open to change. They're just looking for someone to actually get in and help them. And so that's where I would insert it. And when you get in there, you just get in there and be excited and ask questions. I learned this from my classmate, Father Ben Mullenkamp. If anyone, you know Farmer Ben? Mm-hmm. Farmer Ben Mullenkamp. We're about as opposite as you could possibly get. I am, like, direct in your face. This is how this is going to go. If I join a committee, I'm like, let's do this. Everybody, sit down. Here's your orders. You're doing that. You're doing that. You're doing that. You're doing that. We're going to get it done by next week. Next meeting's at this time. Make sure you have your crap done and don't show up. (laughs) Farmer Ben sits down. Hi, everybody. Oh, that's an interesting thing. What do you think about that? Oh. Farmer Ben has a genius about him. No one is ever, ever upset with him because all he does is ask questions. That's all he does. That drives me up a wall. Gosh, in the seminary, that would just tick me off. I'm like, just tell me what you want. Ask me. Be real. Just be direct. You can't do that in a parish. He's smart. Ask questions. When you get in as a young adult and you're surrounded by people, ask the question, why do you do that? What's the purpose of this group? What's the purpose? What's like the underlying, like, I want to go out there and get more people. I'm really excited. What should I tell people? And what are they going to be able to say? Um... Uh, well, uh, let me tell you why I came. Let me tell you why I came. And then you kind of insert that. Then be mission-driven. And then that gets them excited about it, and you become a leader. And that's what they want. They've been doing it for forever. Don't think you're going to step on too many toes. To be perfectly honest, most of them are looking for someone else to do their job. And they might kind of squirm around about it and kind of be upset about it, but don't worry. Just keep going. They'll get over it. Or as, uh, and this is kind of a horrible thing to say, but as a little old Jesuit priest at my seminary would say, Father Lynn, hi guys, Father Lynn, nothing a few requiem masses won't solve. (laughs) That's a funeral. (laughs) Um, Awkward, (laughs) but true. Does that answer your question? Rockin'. Other questions? Yes. So I was really kind of stumped with the first question. It says, what gifts, charisms do young adults have that the church needs? Yes. So I can th- when thinking about that question, I can think about, like, my friends and, like, what gifts they have. Like, some are really good about building community. Mm-hmm. Others are really good about kind of, like, encouraging other people. Or, like, we all have, like, different strengths. But, like, and you kind of mentioned this before. But what do you see as some of our kind of generational gifts? So, like, you know, yeah, what, what do you think in general we can give to the church? I think that one of the most important things that we, that your generation has is a knowledge, a desire for information and a desire to share that information, right? Mostly because of this, right? You like interesting things and you all like to look at them. You don't actually want to go up and talk to people about them. Why? Because you're too a little bit, by you, what the hell, me. So we all are. Why am I saying you? I may be bald, but that's all be real. So I think that that's one of the biggest things is that you are receivers of information and you are disseminators of information. And so the key there is, is that if I, can get, if I can get a young adult to learn something, they're going to share it with someone else. And they might not do it directly, like have an actual conversation with someone, but they're going to find a way to do it. If you can do that for your parishes, that's huge. You know, even if it's just, you know, hey, our parish has a Facebook site. And normally it's just, you know, the next soup dinner is on this or whatever. Okay, great. Or, you know, the Women's Knitting Guild is meeting. So, or what if, it, what if you had something that, a regularly thing, done thing that, hey, this is what I found out about the church this week. 
And what did you do? You just went to a whole bunch of different Catholic blogs and threw one of them on there and said, this article I thought was really interesting. Boom. Now, make sure you vet your sources with your pastor first, please, so you don't go to like some like psycho, like, you know, like heretical thing or whatever, and then I get awkward calls from the bishop. But go do it, and don't be afraid. If you do that, don't worry. The priest isn't going to get mad, or at least he shouldn't. You know, that's when, that's a perfect you know, time for evangelization and catechesis. But like that type of a thing, I think is a, a really awesome charism that young adults have. You like to disseminate, we all like to disseminate information that, that we find interesting. I think that's one thing. The second thing is really ener- is, is energy, but it's also an eye. We have an eye for things. We need to make the church appealing. We need to make the church appealing. Just this year at Christmas at my church, we did a couple of things new, you know, right? And it was, it was received very well. People liked it, but they weren't used to it. Why? I was raised by my mother. I kind of have a, you know, I like things to look good. You know what I'm saying? And when things look good, people are more likely to be a part of it. And so I think that that's one area that we actually have a good eye for. When you have events at the parish, maybe you'll say, hey, I'll be on a marketing committee. I can rub public. And you might think, I have no skills in graphic design, or I really don't know how to do any of that. But guess what? You have way more skills than my, my parish secretary in this, right? <laughs> Those types of things are helpful. Anything technological that you can help with is going to be huge for your parish. The second thing is going to be, ultimately, I think that your charisms are just getting people together, throwing a party. Father, you know, how about we do a ministry? I want to do a, a party. Can I throw a party at the parish for, for this group of people that are volunteering? Or can I have a, an event where we, I really want to help you facilitate a talk on this, because I think it's a really important topic for us, you know? You know how do we deal with... Uh, our brothers and sisters that have same-sex attraction or where are we going to go with election or how do I deal with, you know, people in my face on Facebook that, you know, want to involve, you know, we want to have giant theological battles on Facebook. That is never a good idea. <laughs> Facebook is not the place for theological battles, but because they're just too, yeah, they're complicated. It's complicated. Does that answer the question a little bit? Help you out? Oh, it's kind of a little broad. While you're thinking about that last question, uh, I do want to give a quick shout out for the end of this is going to be a Mardi Gras party, right? And that Mardi Gras party is at my place. <laughs> Pardon? You are. And I am going to be, I will be there. Fear not. We are partying. Actually, I got two parties. We got a party here at the nice Columbus. I got a party there. I am party hopping. It is great. But just throwing that out there. Make sure you mark your calendar. And one more thing, on your way out, just in case you're like, I want to study about the faith, I want to learn more, I want to pray more, I want to know more about the sacraments, all of those things that I spoke about, um, there's these little pages that as you leave here, it says Father Jacob's summer picks. I normally give this out at the beginning of the summer because I'm thinking, you know, backyard, cold beer, sun, none of those things we have right now. (laughs) But maybe you're thinking comfy chair, cup of coffee, watching the snow outside. This has books, but it also has blogs. It's got news sites. It's got radio. It's got movies, documentaries, all types of things that you can look up and start just kind of looking around with on the faith. Especially, I really like, any of you uh, look at newadvent.org fairly recently? It's like Catholic Drudge Report. I'm a really big fan just because you just peruse it each day, and there's so many good things, and they're generally pretty orthodox. Um, you don't have to find anything too crazy. You know, it's not a source that you're going to go off astray on. So really, and then, uh, of course, there's also like some things 
especially if you're, if you're married, you're looking to get married, five love languages. Um, how do you get your husband to talk to you? That's one of my favorites. That's a great one. Um, for moms, the domestic church, room by room, you know, how do you make a, that, that home, Catholic mothers? And then how do you deal with issues around same-sex attraction, right? That's the biggest issue of the day for us. How can we intelligently actually speak about this in the world so that people know that we are not, uh, you know, the bigots that they think we are, right? And so that's, those are some, some, some of my picks on there. Also, just lastly, uh, unless someone has a dying question, I'll stick around if you have a dying question. I just want to put myself out there. I'm at St. Monica's. If you have questions, we got mass times. Look them up. I'm always there, and I would always love to see you guys there. You know, randomly pop in. And if you want to have a party, I'll host your party. You want to have a young adult thing? I'm game, okay? You know, we're going to have a couple of uh, backyard bashes at my place, so I'm always down. Sound good? Rocking. So can I give you a blessing before we end? You'll bow your heads and pray for God's blessing. Heavenly Father, pour out your spirit upon these, your beloved sons and daughters. Send them out on the mission that you have set before them to build up your kingdom here on earth with whatever gifts that you have given them. Help them to know them and put them at the service of the church. In so doing, that they might be great examples of the joy of the Christian life and draw others into that same joy. May Almighty God bless you, the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Thank you. Thank you.